0: Father in heaven, thank you that you are the God of all comfort. Thank you that your Holy Spirit indwells us to be the comforter. We're grateful for the comfort of the scriptures that give us hope and truth, for the comfort of your people. Lord, thank you that you are the resurrection and the life, and those who believe on you, though they are dead, yet shall they live. For the reality that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and that death has lost its sting, the grave has no victory because Jesus has risen. And because he's risen, we have hope and confidence. So Father, we would pray for Pastor Joel, for Melissa, for the children, for his mother, his extended family, that you would continue to comfort them and bless them and remind them that there's coming a great reunion when the trumpet sounds, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said. We've had a great season uh, as a church. I, I believe that you would agree with me that God's been speaking to our hearts about the glories of Christ. Palm Sunday, I think my favorite Palm Sunday ever, Christ kept walking, so we keep walking, bearing our cross and following him followed by Easter Sunday morning when we were reminded that he is not here, he is risen, that the tomb is empty, and because of that we can come out of our tombs and we can live a risen life. We looked at Christ's ascension, that because Christ is lifted higher, we are uplifted in him, and Christ returned to heaven as a conqueror, as a great victor. Last Sunday, we celebrated the burning of our mortgage, but more than that, we celebrated the vision that God has given us to be the church, that we are church, and we want to be church in this community for Christ and for one another, and that is good. This morning, we start a series of messages that are based on the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, and we're calling it Conqueror. It speaks of of Christ and his victory and what that means for us as a church, and maybe to sum up where we're going this morning, I wanted to say to you that Christ is conqueror, and we are his church, and the two are connected. Because he is victorious, we can be victorious. Paul said it this way in Romans, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And I hope that throughout this series, you will really deeply understand that and believe what it is to be the church of Jesus Christ. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And um, this is a tremendous chapter. I'm going to ask that we stand together as I read this chapter and we begin to focus. Let's stand together in honor of the Word of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John, who bore witness to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on an island called Patmos, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and Pergamum, and to Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest, the hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow." His eyes were like a flaming fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars from his mouth. Came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet though dead. But he laid his his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last, I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those things which are, and those that are to take place after this, and for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, Are the seven churches. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. This morning, we want to look at this majestic passage of Scripture by looking at the context in which John received this, looking at the conqueror, and then looking at the churches. And by doing that, I really believe God can meet with every one of us in a personal way. You think about the context, first of all, think about it in terms of history. John is writing this near the end of the first century, and it was a time of uh, when the imperial power of Rome was being just exercised in a, in a way that was declaring that Caesar was God. Uh, this, this time of history was shown by the, uh, the, the coins that was, were used actually in the Roman Empire, And on those coins in Latin, declared that Caesar was deity. Caesar was God. That was also inscribed upon many of the buildings and the temples that were were uh, to worship Caesar as the emperor. This was not a new thing. Pharaoh had been worshipped as God in Egypt. Nebuchadnezzar had declared himself to be God in in, in, um, uh, Babylon. But Caesar was now using the power of the Roman army and all the Roman officials to enforce the worship of Caesar. It was all right with Rome if you wanted to worship other gods as long as you were willing to worship and burn incense to the imperial Caesar and recognize that he was Alpha and Omega, that he was King of Kings, that he was God, that he was Emperor. And the Church of Jesus Christ with great heroism and conviction, refused. They declared that Jesus Christ was their Lord and their King, their ultimate authority, and that the triune God that they worshiped was the true and living God, and they refused to worship Caesar. They would respect the authority, they would pray for him, as the Bible said, but they refused to do that. And so Diocletian, the emperor, unleashed the most powerful persecution in history against the church. Christians were being tortured, their lands confiscated, their homes taken from them. They were being crucified. They were being fed to the lions. We're told in some of the Colosseums that so many were fed to the lions that the lions were no longer hungry and would not attack them. There was so much blood that was shed that even those who had rejoiced initially in the destruction of the church now were just being, being turned off by it. It was a time of horror, a time of great persecution. That's what's going on in terms of the Roman Empire and the persecution. John, who records revelation for us, is now almost 100 years old. He is the last living apostle. All the other apostles had been martyred. John had been tortured. He had gone through horrific experiences. We're told that he was actually, he was actually plunged into uh, boiling oil, and it's, that didn't kill him. And so Diocletian had him sent to an island just off Turkey called Patmos, a rocky, barren island, and he was left there alone, apart from those he loved, apart from his church. And so you look in the geography, you can, the the island of uh, of Patmos, you have a picture here of John and what it might have looked like as he's on that shore all alone. And there is where God met with him. My friends, sometimes when it seems like life is at its worst and when when everything is going wrong, that is the time when God will show up in your life. That's when Christ showed up and met with John on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, Also, in terms of the literature of this, just in terms of the context, Uh, most of you probably know if you've tried to read the book of Revelation, it's a little different book than reading, say, the Gospel of Mark or the book of Romans. It's a a different kind of literature. It's called apocalyptic literature. Now, you don't need to remember that, except that literally means to unveil, to kind of pull back the curtain. And The book of Revelation is pulling back the curtain, showing Jesus The first words show this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And while there's great importance here about prophetic events that are yet to happen, I want you to know that ultimately the book of Revelation is about revealing Jesus to us, revealing who he is. Nothing could be greater comfort to John and nothing can be greater comfort to you. By the way, while we are here today gathered in this place with great freedom to worship and to pray To declare the word of god may i remind you that brothers and sisters in christ like john like those in that first century are paying the ultimate price to follow jesus christ in places like iran iraq afghanistan saudi arabia places in africa it's happening in china it's happening in north korea and so around the world the the, the persecution that is happening in sudan this is this is reality today for many of the believers that that are part of the church of Jesus Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we remember them and as we pray for them, this book of Revelation has been a great encouragement and comfort to the persecuted church around the world. Why? Because it pictures Jesus Christ, it pulls back the veil and shows who he is. By the way, in chapter one, verse 19, we're told the kind of the outline of the book. Write the things which you have seen. That's chapter one. The things that are. That's chapters two to three. And the things that'll take place after that. That's chapters uh, four and, and following. Matter of fact, you could just really say that, that chapters one to three, you have the church. Chapters four to five, and, and Christ, the the Lord, in the midst of the church. And chapters um, four to five, you have the Christ as the Lamb in the midst of the throne. In chapter 6 to 19, you have Christ in his wrath on earth while his worship is going on in heaven. In chapter 19, Christ comes back and he is the king on the earth. In chapters 21 and 22, he is the creator of the new heaven and the new earth. It's all about the glory of Christ. And when you look at this chapter in that way, I think we'll begin to see that, that Jesus Christ shows up And speaks to John and shows John. He speaks audibly and he shows him visually his glory. And and declaring in this way that there is one greater than Caesar. By the way, may I just mention that the power of imperial Rome has been long gone. And Jesus Christ is still conqueror 2,000 years later, he's conquering people, he's transforming lies, and that every kingdom that rises its fist against him, whether it be Nazi Germany, whether it be the French Revolution, whether it be uh, the Soviet Empire, everyone that rises their fist against Christ will ultimately be crushed and fail, because Christ is king, he is conqueror, and I celebrate that today. With you, So let's look at the second thing. Let's look at the conqueror himself. And there's two things that we see. We see his names, and then we see a vision describing his glory. So there's a, there's a voice that declares his authority, and there's a vision that describes his glory. I want you to look with me beginning at just at verse 4. And, and I, I want to encourage you as you listen to this, choose one or two of these names or titles of Christ that bring encouragement to your faith that cause you to love him more, that give you hope in him. I want you to select because this is, this is so rich and so full. You will do a better job listening if you say, that's the one for me. That's the one I wanna focus on in this week to come in terms of his names and titles. So look at it. John, after giving the introduction to his book, telling about the, that he's bearing witness to Christ, he, he gives the blessing to the one that reads, He's, he, he talks about grace and peace, and then he begins to announce who Jesus Christ is. Matter of fact, I want you to notice, uh, you have in, in verse um, verse four, grace to peace and peace from him who is, that's the God of the, of the present, the God of the contemporary, who was, that's the God of history, and the God who is to come. By the way, our God is all three, and he lives in all three all the time, amazing. He's the God who is. He's always relevant and contemporary. He's the God who was. He is the God who controls history. He's the God who is to come. He's the God of prophecy. Then we're told the seven spirits. Seven is the number of perfection, of completion. And the number seven is used repeatedly through the book of Revelation. And this is talking about the Holy Spirit and the perfection of his ministry. And then Jesus Christ is mentioned. Interesting. That as we open this, this uh, vision of Christ and his glory, we see first the triune God. John is later caught up to heaven in chapter 4, and he sees God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so he, he mentions that. But then he focuses on the person of Jesus Christ. Look at how he describes that. He said, Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness because he is the living word of God and always reveals the truth about God. He is the firstborn from the dead because his resurrection gives the promise of our resurrection. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Is, That's says is right in the face of Caesar. He is king over kings. When, when that title is used of Jesus, king of kings, it literally means emperor. It means he is the one who has ultimate authority over all the kings. Caesar claimed to be the emperor, and Jesus shows up on Patmos and says, John, let's set the record straight. I'm the one that rules over all the kingdoms of men. I am the one who was king of kings. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. The one I love, I like this, the one who loves us. Aren't you glad for that today? My friend, it may be a while since somebody told you that they loved you. I want to tell you today. By the authority of Scripture, Jesus Christ loves you. And he demonstrated that by freeing us from our sins by his own blood. That was sung about this morning in our worship time. How did Christ demonstrate that he loved us? By dying on the cross as your substitute and paying the price for your sin. He loves you. He demonstrated through a cross. The greatest symbol of love is not a heart with a cupid's arrow through it. The greatest symbol of love is the cross of Calvary. He loved us and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. And by doing that, he made us a kingdom because we're going to rule with him and priests because we enter into his ministry of intercession and we worship him. To him, he said, be glory, dominion forever and ever, amen. And John then looks forward and saying, he's coming in the clouds. That's all the way in Revelation 19. He's coming back again. When Jesus ascended to heaven, when we saw in Acts chapter 1, we're told he will come in like manner as he went to heaven. Every eye is going to see him. Those who pierced him speaking about the Jews who rejected him at that time, they're going to see him and they're going to mourn and repent of that. And then every tribe, every tribe, all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him at his coming. Jesus Christ is coming back again. Please don't think that human history is like this, going in cyclic, meaningless ways. No, human history is going like this, towards a particular end when Jesus Christ comes back and he's gonna set up his kingdom. And all of the Bible and all of human history is moving towards that end when Christ comes back. He then says, I am the Alpha and Omega. That's like saying I am the A to Z. That's the first and last Greek letter. In other words, it's another way of saying he's the one who starts everything and he's the one who consummates everything. In Genesis, we have the beginning, and Revelation, we have the ending. It's the book ending of the Bible. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And then again, he says, the God who is, the God of the present, the God who was, the God of history, and the one who comes, and then he ends with this, he is the almighty. He has the power to do his will and accomplish his purposes. Now, if you're a persecuted Christian in the first century and you receive this message from the Apostle John, I want to tell you you're encouraged. You're knowing that they can kill me, but, but there's something better coming. Christ is a resurrection. They can think they have ultimate authority, but Christ is king. They can think they have power over us, but our God is Almighty. And He's a God who was and is to come. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is King of kings and Lord of Lords. Well, John, after hearing that and, and hearing about the authority of Christ, have you landed on something in that part that speaks to your heart today, that comforts you, that, that feeds your faith, that gives you hope in him, that causes you to love Jesus more? I would encourage you, to choose one of those. Choose one of those and say, you know, for this week, I'm going to worship and meditate and fuel my faith with that reality of who Jesus Christ is right here. John then moves and he sees a vision. It's that the name's declaring his authority, but now he has this vision describing his glory. John tells us that he's our brother and partner in tribulation and the trials that he's going through, the persecution, but also the kingdom and the patient endurance that he finds the ability to endure trials in Jesus Christ. Some of you are going through trials right now. I want to remind you that the patient endurance for trials comes through Jesus Christ. It doesn't come through you. He said, I was on this island called Patmos on the account of the testimony of the, the Word of God because he was an apostle in the testimony of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He's expressing the fact that he had, had received this prophetic vision from God. And, and I heard a voice behind me. It was like a, it was like a war trumpet And and telling him to write in a book, that's what we have here in Revelation, send it to the seven churches, and he talks about where they're located. He turned in verse um, 12 to see this one who was the voice. And as he turned, before he saw Christ, he saw the seven lampstands, and we're going to come back to that, that's the seven churches. But in the midst of those lampstands, there was one like the Son of Man That is a messianic term to describe Jesus used by Daniel and Ezekiel, the prophets. It speaks of Jesus being the incarnate son of God who is perfect in his humanity and came to fulfill what the Messiah came to do. And look at how he is described here. Look at the description. There's a garment down to his feet like the high priest and and royalty He's girded with a golden um, band, which speak of his great strength and authority. Daniel saw him in that way in Daniel 7 and Daniel 10. His head and his hairs were, were white like wool. Today, when, when people get older, we tend to dye our hair. But, but in, in the ancient world, when people had white hair, it showed respect. It showed that they had lived a long time and had great wisdom. So him having white hair speaks of him being the ancient of days, speaks of him having this great wisdom that he brings. His eyes were like a flaming fire. You know, there's some people that look at you, but Christ looks into you. He looks into you. God told Samuel, God doesn't see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. His eyes like a flaming fire, his omniscience looking right into us. The other day I had to have an x-ray done on my foot and they had me stand in every position possible with your foot to get these x-rays. Why? They wanted to look into the foot to see what was going on. Frankly, it wasn't a problem. Um, But Jesus Christ has x-ray vision that looks into you. By the way, he sees everything in you right now. You cannot hide from his gaze. When you're alone and no one else sees you, he does. When you think you're getting away with sin, you're not. When you think no one understands your heart and thoughts, he does. Because his eyes are like a flame of fire. Uh, His his feet like brass refined in a furnace, the strength and stability of his righteousness. By the way, it is under his foot that he's going to crush the serpent and everyone is gonna be brought under his feet. His voice like the sound of many waters. Niagara Falls, Uh, recently I took a trip to Word of Life Bible Institute in New York and uh, riding with me a couple of different people uh, that were going to take the class and um, one of them had never been to Niagara Falls and I said well we can't let that happen. We're driving right through Buffalo so I said I'm gonna drop you off on the Canadian side, I'm gonna do a loop, I want you to see the falls. How many of you have never been to Niagara Falls? Wow. I want to tell you, it is one of the most majestic sights that you can see in North America. And and when you stand there either on the Canadian side or you go to Goat Island on the American side and you stand there, the roar of the water is just incredible. That's what John is picturing here. His voice was so powerful like Niagara. That's what he's describing here. And then he says, in his right hand, there were seven stars. Uh, Actually, several different times here, it mentions Christ's right hand, the place of honor and protection. And those seven stars are described to us later. In his mouth is a sharp sword. That's the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is is quick or living and powerful like a sharp two-edged sword. Ephesians 6.17 says that part of our spiritual armor is the sword of the spirit. So this is the authority of his word. The power of his word like Niagara. The sword of the spirit coming out of his mouth pictures the, the great authority. Listen, God spoke and created everything in six days. That's the power of his word. And Jesus Christ is going to speak and coming back at the Battle of Armageddon. He's just going to speak, and it's going to happen. When Jesus spoke, wind and waves stopped. Demons cowered. Diseases were healed. When Jesus spoke, lives were changed. His His word, like a sharp sword, and his countenance were, were is described here for us. His countenance, his face, was like the sun. Shining in its full strength. My friend, if you look at the sun, even at this distance, it will blind your eyes. The physical sun. And this is the picture of the radiant glory and majesty of Jesus Christ. It's like the sun shining. That was seen in the Mount of Transfigurations. This is the glory of Jesus. The radiant glory of Jesus Christ. This is the one who is our conqueror. And look at John's response in verse 17. He said, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. May that remind you of something? John refers to himself in the gospel that bears his name as the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, Jesus loved all of his disciples. But John had such a personal, intimate walk with Christ that that John is considered by most Bible scholars as having the most intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ of all of the 12. That's why you have in John's gospel insights into Christ and teaching of Christ that you don't find in any of the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. John is the one who's actually listening to the heartbeat of Christ when he's there in the upper room. John is the only one that's at the cross. And yet this one who had the closest, most personal friendship with Christ in his incarnate ministry, now in heaven when he sees Jesus, he is on his feet. And he said, I felt like I was a dead man. We should be careful how we talk about Christ. We should remember that Christ in his incarnation came in humility. But if you for a moment saw Christ in his glory... It would totally put you on your face before his feet. We should not talk lightly about who he is or be flippant when we talk about Christ. John, the most close and personal of Jesus' disciples, was on his face like he was dead. But Jesus reaches out his hand. (laughs) Grabs John and says, Don't be afraid, John. Don't be afraid because I'm the first and the last, and I'm the living one. I died and I'm alive forevermore. And not only that, John, I hold the keys to death and Hades. John, humbled, broken. On his face before Jesus, Jesus comforting, standing him up and saying, you have no reason to be afraid. I am the risen one and I hold the keys of hell and death. That, my friends, is the conqueror. That is Jesus Christ. Currently in glory, that's what it's like to see Jesus. Don't think of Jesus... Just in his humility, the incarnate Christ is now in heaven as the God-man. And he is so glorious that it takes all of these names to describe him. He is so glorious, it takes all of this visual to see him. And the response of John is, I am on my face. And the response of Jesus to that is, come on, I want you to know who I am. I'm the Christ who's the conqueror, and I love you. I'm the first and the last. I hold the keys of hell and death. You have nothing to be afraid of. Isn't it awesome that Christ causes us to fear him and worship, and then he's the very one that quiets our fears by his grace and mercy. Isn't that good? Well, what we've seen, the context, and we've seen the conqueror, but I want you to see the church here. Look at this emphasis in verse 4. John is writing to the seven churches in Asia, which is what we now call Turkey. He, um, he tells us in verse 10, write what you see and send it to the seven churches, the seven churches. And, and if you look at the map here, you can see where these seven churches are, okay? These seven churches in the area that we call Turkey today. There were churches that were in the first century. These are literal historical churches. He, he, he gives their place. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. You can see where the Isle of Patmos is out to the left of there. You can see where those churches are located. In many of those places, you can actually visit and see some of the cities where these, where these churches were. And John is going to receive a message from Christ, a letter to every one of those seven churches. Look in verse 17. When John turns to hear the voice of Christ, he first sees seven golden lampstands. And that becomes significant. Those seven golden lampstands are in verse 20, we're told, are the seven churches and the seven stars that are held in the hand of Christ represents the seven messengers to the churches. Could be angels that were given delegated responsibility for every church, could also be the the, the lead pastors or elders of those churches held in the hands of Christ in his control and in the grip of his protection. What's the significance of this? What we've just heard about who Christ is, what we've just seen in terms of his glory, his authority and glory, I want you to notice some things about the church here, because it ties into what's going to happen in the weeks to come. We see that not only the location of the churches, but the churches are light. They are lampstands. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Then he said, you are the light of the world. By the way, this local church is a lampstand of Jesus Christ sent to light this part of West Michigan. We are to radiate the glory of the person of Jesus Christ and his gospel to everyone around us. We are a light. We are the light of Christ in this area. By the way, you are the light of Christ in your neighborhood, to to friends, to where you work, to where you go to school. You are the light of Christ. We we see also the lordship of Christ. The lordship of Christ. Christ is seen, pictured, in the midst of the lampstands. What is the significance of that? There is a very real sense in which Jesus is present in heaven as the God man in his ascension. We know that. But Christ is also seen here in the midst of the churches. This is his present location, according to John. Write the things that are right now. Where's Jesus? He's in the midst of the lampstands. Jesus is in the midst of the church. He's moving in the midst of these churches. He is positioned as Lord, as great high priest in the midst of the churches. The conqueror is in his churches. And he's moving there. He's gonna speak to each of these seven churches with letters. These letters are structured in a very particular way. He's gonna speak with authority to the churches. He's going to judge and evaluate the churches. My friend, I just wanna remind you That you and I don't have ultimate authority over the church. Even the pastors and elders do not have ultimate authority over the church. Jesus Christ speaks with ultimate authority. The conqueror, this is his church. He is conqueror. We are his church. And the church is only healthy when everybody is submitting to his authority. That's when the church is at its best. So he's going to write letters to churches. And he's going to give lessons to apply that. There's something very wonderful about this to me. I just got to tell you that. To know that Christ's present position is that he's in the midst of the churches. Where is Jesus today? He's in heaven. Where is Jesus today? He's in the midst of his churches, both. And in the midst of his churches, he is moving and speaking. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Someone once said of the church, sort of like Noah's Ark, If it wasn't for the flood on the outside, couldn't stand the stench on the inside. I want to tell you, I disagree with that attitude. I believe the Church of Jesus Christ is one of the most glorious and amazing things in this world. Greater than any corporation, greater than any government greater than any institution made by man. The church of Jesus Christ has lasted over 2,000 years, and Jesus Christ is building his church. He's the conqueror, we are his church. And what the church believes about him makes a difference in terms of how we see the church and how we function in the church. We need to see him as he is, as conqueror, then see the church as he plans for it to be. And when that happens, it's amazing. Christ is conqueror, we are his church. The church responds to Christ based on who we believe Christ to be. So here's four things as we wrap this up today. In light of Revelation 1, four things that I want to challenge you with. Worship Christ's glory. Worship Christ's glory. Be like John. Be ready to fall on your face before him and say, he is all of that and more he is seen as all of that and more. I hear who he is, I see who he is, and I fall on my feet before my face before him and worship. Worship Christ's glory. Don't treat Christ flippantly in your life. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He deserves your heart's worship. Secondly, obey Christ's authority. Frankly, this would revolutionize a lot of lives. You know the most damaging thing you can do to your life? And this isn't just for teenagers, this is for adults like us, no matter what age. The most damaging thing you can do to your life is for self to be your own authority. You will self-destruct. Matter of fact, what makes rivers crooked are what make people crooked. The path of least resistance doing what you feel like doing obey Christ's authority Cr- let Christ conquer your will submit to his authority he is the one who is king and if you, if nothing else is clear in the book of revelation then there's a lot clear in the book of revelation that is clear Christ is your ultimate authority the greatest decision you can make in your life I can tell you, when I was 18 years old, I had to make a determination in my life about who was going to be ultimate in my authority. I wish I could say that I've never turned back from that and never disobeyed him. I can't honestly say that, but I can say this. The determination of the direction of my life is I want to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and that has changed everything, and it does every day. Some of you today, the greatest commitment you can make is say, I will submit to Christ's authority. I will obey him no matter what it costs me. That is the way of blessing. Here's the third thing. Take courage in Christ's victory. Some of you are going through great difficulty right now, great trials. You're going through hard times. I want you to take courage today. Jesus Christ has already triumphed over your worst enemies, sin, hell, and death, and he will ultimately triumph. Take courage, my friend in temptation and in trials and suffering, in grief and in hardship, because Christ has already been victorious. And finally, hope in Christ's kingdom. You know, you can read the news, you can watch the news, you can hear the news, and a lot of it is bad news. But I want to give you some good news. Whatever you see is happening in the world today isn't the last story. I've read the end of this wonderful book, and Jesus Christ wins. Jesus Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. So the world can do its worst. Satan can do his worst. But the good news is this. The best is yet to come for the Christian. And we have a hope that is focused on a person. And throughout the book of Revelation, we see that unfolding when Jesus Christ comes back and he sets up his kingdom and for a thousand years reigns on this earth and then creates a new heaven and the new earth. My friend, believers should be filled with hope because we have a risen Christ who's all that we've seen today and he has a plan for this world and he has a plan for your life and he has a plan for his church. Hope in him. Hope in him. Father in heaven, thank you for the glory of Christ and his names and titles, and the vision that we've seen of him. May we as his church, recognizing that he dwells in the midst of his people, in the midst of the churches, that our conqueror is victorious, and that we are his church. May we worship Christ's glory. May we obey Christ's authority. May we take courage in Christ's victory. And may we find hope in Christ's kingdom today. In Jesus' matchless and glorious name, amen.